2: This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I wanted to begin talking about this new Disinformation Governance Board that the Department of Homeland Security is setting up. And it's uh, to coordinate countering disinformation or misinformation, which is what I call lies, but. You know, polite society has to call it whoppers or some kind of euphemism. that's tasteful. So the Disinformation Governance Board, and it's specifically to counter disinformation related to Homeland Security, uh, focused specifically on irregular migration and Russia. Now, this is nothing new. We have had all kinds of disinformation governance all through the Cold War. It's what every country does. But the right wing used this as an excuse to flip out. And I I wanted to talk about it. Uh, Steve Cortez, who never met a Trump lie he wouldn't push, was saying the Biden administration goes all in Orwellian with America's new Ministry of Truth headed by a disinformation fellow who happens to have a Ukraine flag at her bio because, of course, Uh, the disinformation fellow is uh, Nina Jankowicz. She's executive director of the. Homeland Security Disinformation Governance Board, which is there to counter lies. It's not there to censor anybody. It's there to call out bullshit. That's it. No censorship. And she was a disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center. And she advised the Ukrainian foreign ministry as part of the Fulbright Public Policy Fellowship. And she saw oversaw Russia programs at the National Democratic Institute. So, yeah, she cares about Ukraine, A, because she advised the Ukrainian foreign ministry. And B, she's not a complete fucking monster, Steve Cortez. Ministry of truth. That's the expression they're using all day long. This was the number one trending topic on Elon Musk's new toy, Ministry of Truth. And it's trending because of Putin's lie pushers. I'm sorry, because of Trump's lie pushers. (laughs) But I repeat myself. Here's the funny thing. All these people that have pushed every lie Donald Trump have ever said, who've who've defended him from Obama's birth certificate to windmills cause cancer to he really won the election to the virus will go away when the weather gets warm. The lies after lies. And now they're actually having a government board to call out disinformation, not to censor anyone, just to say, hey, y'all, this is some bullshit and we can all debate it. But what do fascists have to do? They have to play victim. So now they're actually saying that uh, it's Orwellian. <laughs> or- Orwellian is what the Trumpers are saying. Um, here's my thing. Do you ever notice the same people who are more angry at trying to fight lies than they are at the people who tell lies? Are the same people who are more angry at protests against racism than they are at actual racism these are authoritarians and they're all screaming it's orwellian and friends if you've read the book authoritarians screaming orwellian is peak orwell (laughs) anytime you hear a right-wing person screaming that something's orwellian just remember what george orwell himself said Every line of serious work that I have written since 1936 has been written directly or indirectly against totalitarianism and for democratic socialism, as I understand it. George Orwell. But of course, they've got to play victim. So, uh, you know, I mocked this on Twitter, and all day long I have these right wing troll accounts saying, You're trying to silence us. We won't let you silence us. And there they go. Back to the victimization do you hear this a lot on the right they're trying to silence us and they 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 say it uh i've heard them say they're trying to silence us on fox news and newsmax and oan and and breitbart uh and the patriot channel i hear it on breitbart i hear it on the blaze daily caller the daily wire uh they say it a lot on weekly standard national review oh they say it in the new york post Infowars, the gateway pundit Uh, i've heard them say it on thousands of right-wing podcasts and most of your am radio dial And atop the Fairness Doctrine's grave. (laughs) Their entire media echo chamber is echoing with how much they're being silenced. And it's being said by thousands of right-wing people. So I, I, I wanted to go off on all of this and do a big whole opening rant about all this business. But then, you know, folks, here's the deal with political comedy. When God closes a Donald Trump comedy door, he opens a Marjorie Taylor Greene comedy window. Now, Remember way back in time. I know last Friday was a long time ago, but all the way back last Friday when Marge was on the stand claiming not to remember who she spoke to or what she said or what she did in all the weeks between Donald Trump's losing the election and the January 6 terrorist attack on our Capitol. This was in a court hearing to determine whether or not she's eligible to be on the ballot in Georgia this year. She deflected almost every question about her own social media posts and comments she made in the lead up to the terrorist attack. She said, I don't know, or I don't recall, dozens of times to every possible question. She didn't know if she had actually asked Donald Trump to invoke martial law, if she had made inflammatory statements attacking Democrats, if she'd questioned election results. She couldn't remember anything. She couldn't remember if she'd ever had a conversation with Donald Trump's chief of staff or anyone in the White House. She couldn't remember if she had a conversation with Donald Trump about all this. And here's exactly what she texted to Mark Meadows, dated January 17th, 2020. Marge says, and I quote, in our private chat with only members, several are saying that the only way to save our republic is for Trump to call for martial law. She misspells the word martial. I don't know on those things. I just wanted you to tell him. They stole this election. We all know. They will destroy our country next. Please tell him to declassify as much as possible so we can go after Biden and anyone else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so here, here's the fun part about this. This is clear evidence that even though she said she couldn't recall it, Marge had a conversation with the White House Chief of Staff where she kind of sort of advocates for martial law and acknowledges other members of Congress had done so. Friends, including our conservative friends who are listening to this because hate gets your heart rate up, isn't that a kind of conversation you'd remember? You know, if you'd actually talked to the president's chief of staff and talked about how maybe we should have martial law, others are saying it, do you think you'd remember that? Well. It turns out the only thing Marjorie Taylor Greene remembers worse than her own actions around January 6th is the Holy Bible. Um, this is my favorite story of the day, and I'm sorry to open Talking Tabernacles again, but my friends, we ha- we have to call these fake Christians out. Why? Because they use this veneer of Christianity to justify policies that are exact Opposite. You don't need to believe in anything that's in Christianity to call these hypocrites and liars out. Over here, I am in the camouflage removal business, and Christianity should not be a cloaking device for douchebaggery. Ergo, hence, therefore, to wit, here's Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was being interviewed by extreme right Catholic activist Michael Voris. And she was talking about all these horrible Christian groups that are helping immigrants and refugees at our border. And, and and guys, welcoming the stranger, that's not what Jesus had in mind. And why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Because the church, wait for it, wait for it, is run by Satan. Give a listen.
0: What it is is that Satan's controlling the church. The, the church is not doing its job. And it's not adhering to the teachings of Christ. And it's not adhering to what the Word of God says we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live and what they're doing by saying, oh, we have to love these people and take care of these migrants and love one another. This is loving one another. Yes, we are supposed to love one another, but their definition of what love one another means, uh, means destroying our laws. It means uh, completely perverting what our Constitution says. It means uh, taking unreal advantage of the American taxpayer. And it means pushing a globalist policy on the American people and forcing America to become something that we are not supposed to be.
2: Okay. Wow. Right? Like in one sentence, in that one last sentence, she managed to be anti-immigrant uh, using racist code language making America become something we are not supposed to be, uh, using an anti-Semitic trope, globalist, one of my favorite code words, uh, and she's completely anti-Christian. Like like the Lord's Word. She talks about we're not following the Lord's Word. The Catholics that are down there, the Catholic Church saying to welcome the immigrants, they are they're not handling the Lord's Word. First of all, let's be glad that the Lord takes time out of his busy, busy schedule every day to really give a shit about these invisible lines we've drawn in the ground on his earth to separate our tribes. Because you know, guys, God cares a lot about where our invisible lines are because God likes white Americans more than God likes brown people south of our border. Satan's controlling the church. She actually said the church is not adhering to the teachings of Christ and it's not adhering to what the word of God says we're supposed to do. And how we're supposed to live. Later on, she said that the federal government has to cut off foreign aid to nations from which undocumented immigrants are arriving. If she said we have to cut off the drug war in Central American nations that causes so much of the violence that these Im- immigrants and refugees are fleeing from, I, I might have agreed. She said we should hold those countries accountable. Oh, I'm sorry, Guatemala, you're not getting a check this year because you've sent X number of thousands and tens and thousands of hundreds of thousands of millions of people to illegally invade our country as if they're an army. They may not have guns, but they're numbers of a regiment of an army. Folks, asylum seekers break no laws. Okay? So here's the deal. Um, because Marge cares so much about the Lord's Word, I just want to remind you of what the Lord's Word actually is. Let, let's just give a few examples. Because uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't remember the Bible any better than she remembers calling for martial law. Deuteronomy 10 You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Leviticus, the homophobe's favorite Bible chapter, Leviticus 19.34. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You know, the fact that he signed it, I am the Lord your God, makes it sound like that's the Lord's word. But let's go more. Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner. How about uh, Chronicles, um, Book 1, uh, Chapter 16? When they were few in number, of little account, and strangers in the land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, God allowed no one to oppress them. Um, Psalm 146 The Lord watches over the strangers. How about Zechariah, Chapter 7? Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor. Holy shit, Marge, you really should read this book sometime. I had no idea God was such an open borders lefty. Let's talk about Christ himself, since Marjorie Taylor Greene's really fond of putting his name in her damn mouth. Matthew 25, my favorite chapter of the Bible. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Uh, how about Matthew twenty-five forty? Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Uh, Luke ten twenty-seven. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Last time I checked, Mexico uh, is right next door. <sighs> how about uh, Acts? Chapter 10, then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. What? You mean the Christians from south of the border are Christians? Romans 12, extend hospitality to strangers. Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. How about Colossians 3? In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. It's a pretty good argument for transgender and gay people, too. Uh, Book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. You know, I don't know about you, good people. Um, when I was growing up, marjorie taylor green was the kind of person that you you'd see you know screaming in a parking lot somewhere the kind of person that you'd hear calling in ranting to radio shows or you'd you'd be watching c-span and you'd hear a crazy right-wing person call up and make brian lamb look really uncomfortable normally psychotics like marge wouldn't be on the national news now they make the news now they're the government the republican party is gone from being a conservative party with a white nationalist lunatic fringe to being a white nationalist lunatic party with a conservative fringe. If you're Christian, if you've read the damn Bible, the Jesus parts, then you're the first ones wearing masks in a pandemic to protect others. Then you're the first ones condemning family separation, taking brown children away from their parents with no system in place to give them back. If you're a Christian, you're not out there yelling shit. At refugees and immigrants. You're down there at the border with blankets and water for them, especially if they're fleeing violence from our drug war. If you're a Christian, you're the one who's angry about police brutality and racism, not angry at the protests of it. If you're a true Christian, you're supposed to be out there screaming that Black Lives Matter. <laughs> so it's pretty funny that Marge forgets so much of the Bible, but I'll, I'll just remind her. Um, here's a Commandment for me, thou shalt not hate illegals. The Bible, Marjorie, is very specific about how to treat aliens and immigrants in your midst. And by the way, if you believe the story that Joseph and Mary, after they gave birth to Jesus, went to hide out from Herod by fleeing to Egypt where Jesus grew up, then you have to accept that your Lord and Savior grew up as an undocumented teen. Marjorie, if you think you've forgotten a lot, wait till you stand before St. Peter. And they ask Jesus if he knows you.
0: Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills.
1: Virtual reality
0: definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued
2: Can I just say I hate it when I'm having a great conversation with Bob Seska and it's interrupted because we have to go on the air and have a conversation. I I love talking to Bob Seska. He is one of the smartest, funniest, handsomest and tallest guys in the game. He's the host of The Bob Seska Show. Uh, Maybe you're a fan of his columns. Maybe you're a fan of his appearances on The Stephanie Miller Show. I'm a fan that he even talks to us every Wednesday. Mr. Seska, welcome back. Hey, John,
3: I, you know, I was just asking you about your religion. I was just asking about your background. Yeah, I didn't know How I you didn't know all of these things. <laughs> I mean, I went to Catholic school. I, I did the whole Catholic school thing for eight years. I wow. uh, went to church twice a week, like a wow. good Catholic kid. I was an altar boy. And in fact, in fifth grade, I was considering going into the priesthood. Yeah. But of course girls came along and that was that. Yeah, same same the, here. The, they,
2: they wanted me to go into the priest the priest asked me to go into the priesthood but I was like, "Uh, yeah. sorry, I have another calling." Um but yeah, you didn't know about my mom and dad. I I I, I didn't. I, oh, yeah. Wow. That's what my half my act is about. Yeah, I was yeah. I was raised by people who once promised God I would never happen and that's why I always <laughs> feel like I'm not supposed to be here to some degree.
3: <laughs> do, do you still practice now? Do you still uh do or is it more of a theology kind of intellectual study for you? Or Uh, people ask me all the
2: time. I, I, I honestly, I, uh, I, people ask me like, you know, are you still Catholic? And I'm like, well, that is my asexual orientation. But, um, I, 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 the, the Catholic church's treatment of women Mm -hmm. is the reason why, uh, I mean, there's many problems I have the treatment of gay people, the, uh, hangups about birth control and, and masturbation, none of which are in the Bible, but you know, um, the only people who don't abandon Jesus the day he's executed by the state, the only people who don't abandon him are the women. The mm-hmm. only people who stare down the Roman centurion so they can anoint his body are the women. And the first people that appear to him are the women. Yeah. Uh, that, I'm sorry, the first people he appears to when he comes <clears> back in the story. Um, and, you know, there's three women that went there with Jesus and the apostles, Ma- Magdalene, Ma- Mary, and Martha. So you would think, oh, mm-hmm. it's 15 apostles. But the men who wrote the Bible said, no, no, it's 12 apostles, three groupies. And um, it's really first and foremost. (laughs) I'll always consider myself a Catholic, but um, the treatment of women and that they believe that 51 percent of God's creation is unworthy of the priesthood. Mm -hmm. That's first and foremost why I can never kiss that ring. And uh, yeah, it's really I,
3: hard to get past that. It's hard to get past the uh, the cover up of child molestation all those years. Oh, yeah. I'm I
2: just think. going. Uh, listen, that that yeah. I'm not even touching. I'm just talking about policy. <laughs> I'm just talking about policy. <laughs> right. I'm not even talking about fucking felonies. I mean, mm-hmm. but people always say to me, are you Christian? And I always say the same thing when they ask me if I'm liberal. I say I yeah. aspire to be. I aspire to be Christian. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, and it's
3: a shame that there are all those downsides with the Catholic Church. Isn't that the way it always is? There are a lot of downsides that ruin it for the rest of the thing. And uh, you know, I I never experienced any of the child molestation. I never saw any of that stuff when I was. Well, uh, I mean, you should have worked out more back then,
2: Bob. You're cute now. You should have worked out more. (laughs) Maybe that's why you could you could have beaten up a priest. What were you like? What were you like? Six feet when you were in seventh grade?
3: Uh, I yeah, I was I was pretty damn tall when I was in well, there when I was in fifth grade. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. But uh, no, I mean, I never saw it. And in fact, I came away before we knew about all that stuff. I yeah. came away with generally a positive view of the community aspect of I still have a positive
2: view of it. I still have a yeah, positive. Yeah. I, I know tons of wonderful Catholics. I know great nuns. I know great priests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, um, a, a putting women in jail for abortion has nothing to do with the new testament at all and jesus's religion of judaism was never against abortion and still isn't and Mm -hmm. um you know the priest who oversaw my brother's confirmation had to go away yeah like you know that like that what really gets me is if a catholic boy touches himself it's a tragic sin and he goes to hell if a catholic Mm -hmm. priest touches a little boy it's a tragic mistake, and he goes to a new parish. Yeah, and yeah. that's a church that um, I, I will defend they, on, on some counts. They are the most high profile opponent of the death penalty in the world. They are the greatest uh, uh, advocate for the poor in the world. They are the greatest advocate for universal health care in the world. Yeah. Even Benedict said every country has a responsibility to pay for the health care of its poorest citizens. But mm-hmm. um, I'll just say uh, women and gay people, uh, the Catholic Church needs women and gay people more than gay people yeah. and women need the Catholic Church.
3: It's always shocking because I always thought the Catholic Church was all about social justice and
2: a reaching lot out is. to the
3: least of our brothers and like that. A lot of it is.
2: I mean, the Berrigan yeah, brothers, yeah. my my dad, when I, was, when I was at college, I went to the NYU Catholic Center where, you know, I still went to mass when I was in college. And I went to a church where gay people were welcomed openly and embraced. And I'm like, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be. And Mm. then I put on the TV and it's all Jerry Falwell douchebags. And, you know, and then I mean, then people like Bill Donahue of the Catholic League, who I had on my TV show and I got him to admit Mm. on the air that Jesus never said a thing against gay people. But, you know, this is every religion. There's the fundamentalists and they usually take over the operation. The institutions are always corrupted. And it's the individuals where you find the goodness and the acts of kindness, don't you think?
3: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, your genius level erudition on this uh, observing that is like saying water is wet. So I just, oh, again, you're very it's, kind. Uh, it's it's, it's so all because of I just add a few dick jokes. Murder.
2: I just add a few dick jokes for the kids. That's all I do. <laughs> I just talk about what's in the Bible and I add a couple of dick jokes and that's my street cred.
3: I'm just so impressed. Every time you quote something right off the top of your head, it's just, oh, my God, I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. John's qu- quoting scripture and making it hilarious at the same time.
2: Well, Bob, I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan. And yeah. my, my mom was a, a really good person. And she worked a, she worked at a convent growing up. I was around a lot of nuns from her mm-hmm. order. I grew up around nuns who had known my mom when she was a nun. I grew up around Franciscans who adored my dad when he was a brother. I've known a lot of really good Catholic people and I'm I'm blessed to have a very big Southern and, and Brooklyn family with I uh, I I've had Jews and atheists and Muslims in my family. And um I, I don't like seeing even though I'm not religious, I don't like seeing people prostitute the faith of my parents and mm-hmm. use Christianity as a cloaking device for meanness. And that's yeah. when I get all stabby. And so um, I don't pretend to be a good Christian. That's what separates me. They invite me to these debates all the time, and they say, like, okay, you're the liberal Christian. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not here claiming. Don't t- I'm, I'm the biggest sinner in the room. Don't, don't look at me that way. <laughs> I just am a big fan of how Jesus called out these fucking hypocrites. That's what I yeah. do that's absolutely what
3: I like. and that's and that's one of the greatest things that you do not just in terms of comedy but for the discourse overall where you're well, you haven't seen me break dance bob debatable. i do a lot of great
2: things you haven't seen me break yeah. dance i mean I, there's <laughs> a lot of great things i do
3: <laughs> maybe next week next week okay. i can ask you about the break dancing right <laughs> i feel like i feel like i've sidetracked your show enough at no this point, no so. i love
2: it this is fun i mean okay. i mean I, right. and i didn't know that you had done eight years of catholic school that's very impressive
3: Oh yeah, the uniforms, the the whole bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, we had religion wow.
3: class, and yeah, it was. Uh, I wanted to go to Catholic school. We we
2: we couldn't yeah. afford it. We my parents had had vows of poverty, so we couldn't afford Catholic school. But I learned yeah. to really enjoy dating girls who had gone to Catholic school. By the time I got to college, <laughs> that's that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I want to ask you about something. Sure. I want to ask you about our friends in the Republican Party, Bob, um, because when you think about it, Kevin McCarthy should be as toxic as a chernobyl urine sample uh (laughs) but it looks like he has emerged from the conference pretty unscathed considering that he you know called trump out he lied and said he never called trump out they produced the tapes showing what a liar he was he grovels before trump and trump forgives him and that's all it takes there's a big piece in politico today about as awful as this man has been And as much as he's coddled the far right, and as much as we know he hates Donald Trump, but he grovels before Donald Trump, and he downplays all these crimes, and he turns a blind eye to the racism and the corruption, the caucus loves him because he's managed to bring the hard right into the fold with the people who are just wrong about everything. I mean, you'd think Kevin McCarthy would be a dead duck, but it looks like he's uniting the right like it's Charlottesville.
3: Yeah. I mean, on the surface, it certainly seems that way. I question whether or not the rest of the caucus is complying with him at this point because he's still the leader of the Republican caucus. They only care
2: about money. Who did he punish? He punished Liz Cheney for telling the truth. He won't punish them for lies. They're hanging Madison Cawthorn out to dry. But that's because he you know, told tales out of school. I mean, Mm -hmm. they attack anyone who tells the truth about Trump. And for a party that only cares about power, you want to bring the Wall Street assholes, the fake Christians, and the Nazis all together. And that's yeah. what he's doing.
3: Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that the span of time that elapsed between January 6th and the actual impeachment is a relatively short period of time. I mean, you could actually now chart medically uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy's spine going from regular <laughs> bone into jello from January 10 to the <laughs> impeachment vote on January 13. I think uh, scientists are looking at that as being like the benchmark, the way you measure Republican spines liquefying over three days. Uh, (laughs) But that's the thing, because ultimately he united the caucus around opposing the the second impeachment of Donald Trump. So in that sense, yeah, he said a lot of things in those phone calls and in those texts. But then again, a lot of the caucus was. I mean, on January 6th, even Marjorie Taylor Greene was screaming about, oh, there's an active shooter, there's an active shooter, what are we going to do? But And there were quite a few others like that, Steve Scalise and the rest. Um, And it only took a couple of days for Kevin McCarthy to turn around and remember that, oh, that's right, this isn't my party. This party belongs to Donald Trump. So I better get in line, I better get my caucus in line. And ultimately, they stayed in line to oppose that impeachment with very few defectors. I I don't even remember how many I don't think any Republicans voted for impeachment on the House side. So uh, the second time. And so um, in that respect, that's, I think, why he still got this support, because it doesn't matter. Water under the bridge. What, What ultimately is is important here is that he kept the whole caucus unified.
2: So, Mr. Seska, do you believe then that these midterms are not just about who's going to control the caucus? They're going to be about how much does Donald Trump control the party? Because all eyes are going to be on his endorsements and how well his endorsements do. And Mm. it it seems to be the conventional wisdom is if Donald Trump's endorsements do really, really well, then he's the nominee if he wants it. Mm.
3: Yeah, uh, I don't think... (laughs) I hope they're not sticking with that litmus test. I think that would be a huge mistake because I don't know that his uh, I mean, I don't think his record so far hasn't been that great. Uh, And I think we're getting a skewed view of Donald Trump's popularity based on cable news, based on what we see on Twitter. And I don't I don't know that that's necessarily the case on the ground. I think at least privately, Republicans are still figuring out a way to wiggle away from Trumpism at this point. And so, uh, you know, it's it's really difficult to perpetuate yourself as a uh, as the leader of the party when you've got the actual leader of the party, Mitch McConnell, kind of working against you. So that may not work out well for him.
2: Well, I think we've learned. I mean, I've always said Donald Trump's true ethnicity is celebrity. Um yeah. And uh, it's its own ethnic group. It's why Kanye West has more in common with Trump than it does with anyone in Chicago. And if you're famous enough, Trump will endorse you. So there's Dr. Oz. Yep. There's Herschel Walker. Now, Herschel um, has a 60 point, a 60 percentage point advantage over his Senate primary opponents right now in the state of Georgia. Let's talk Georgia. Herschel Walker is polling 60 percent higher than everyone else running for Senate for the Republicans. And none of the other ones ever held a loaded gun to their wife's head or lied about being valedictorian. You know, but Herschel's doing great. But look at Governor Brian Kemp. Um, Trump has gone against Brian Kemp because Brian Kemp told the truth that uh, they counted the votes many times and Donald Trump lost the state. So that's Mm -hmm. all Trump needs to say, you're not loyal. You won't lie for me. You're not corrupt for me. So he endorsed David Perdue, the former senator, Trump's endorsing David Perdue, and right now, Governor Kemp is trashing this guy, 53% yeah. to 27% in the new Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll. I mean, like like the 50% threshold. I mean, that's an example of a Trump endorsement that might not really look too good. I happen to think that maybe, Bob, maybe I'm an optimist, but I'm seeing shades of 2012, the year of mm-hmm. Todd Aiken, the year the Republicans nominated so many batshit candidates that Democrats were able to do pretty well. In, those, in that election, better than they thought. I mean, yeah. Dr. Oz is weak. J.D. Vance is weak. Herschel Walker is really weak.
3: Yeah, and uh, this could be another year. I, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't know why, John. I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling hopeful this week about the midterms. Just I've been digging into the numbers lately, and I've been seeing that there are many more toss-ups than I thought. And without the toss ups, it's pretty much even Stephen between Republicans and Democrats, as far as the Senate side, House side. And so, in that respect, I'm feeling okay about that. But here's the thing when it comes to Donald Trump and the midterms, I am very hesitant to write him off in any event, no matter what happens uh, in November. If the Democrats are able to retain their majorities in Congress, maybe lose a, another state legislature chamber somewhere in a number of different places, perhaps, uh, and have a bad day in other ways. But in terms of the national vote, in terms of uh, what we're talking about in in Congress, uh, if if the Democrats end up uh, defying history, I think Donald Trump's still going to run. And I still think that he's pretty much a lock for the nomination. I don't think the Republican Party, the way it is right now, is going to go against him and his supporters. That's one of the reasons why Kevin McCarthy's spine <laughs> turned to jello right. last year uh, between January 10th and January 13th, because no one on the Republican side wants to piss off the red hats. That's a, yeah. a recipe for disaster because they're, they're afraid that there's going to be another insurrection and they're going to be in the crosshairs again. I mean, that's just they're terrified of those people. And for, I think for good reason,
2: Bob, I, I I could talk about this with you all night. But in our final minutes, I, I have to ask your opinion on, you know, who purchasing, you know, what my unpopular yeah. take is um, I don't care if he lets Trump back on. Uh, I just don't want Trump appointing judges. I don't care what he tweets. And I also, right. you know, if you think if you're upset about billionaires buying shit, look around. I mean, you know, I I don't know if he's going to make Twitter worse, if it's going to be the end of free speech as we know it, if it's going to be bot heaven. Barack Obama lost 300,000 followers yesterday and Twitter won't say why. Um, but I'm more upset that you can buy senators than that you can buy Twitter. What do you think about yeah. this?
3: Uh, well, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. As far as Twitter goes, uh, you know, we survived Twitter when Donald Trump was on there uh, before some of the. Uh, the weirdos and Red Hats got kicked off a year ago. You know, we, we endured that. We got through that. What I'm concerned about is Elon Musk and this drive toward unrestricted free speech is just a disaster waiting to happen. In fact, one of two things is going to happen. Either uh, Twitter is going to become the next 8chan or whatever it is, right. whatever it's called now, 8kun, I think it's uh, is the name of it, or Elon Musk is going to have to backpedal Uh, Because he's going to quickly discover that shareholders don't like whatever is going to be posted on Twitter now with this unrestricted free speech mantra. You know, Nazi death porn or whatever it is that you see on 8kun outside of the the Q stuff. I mean, in fact, on 8kun, the Q material is some of the most mild material that you'll see on that forum. I mean, unbelievably heinous photos and videos and and uh, and disinformation nazis white supremacists the worst people in the world populate those boards and if you have an unrestricted free speech platform in twitter what's to keep all those people from flooding in and making twitter into the next version of that and i think that's entirely possible and that's going to that, but that's going to irritate shareholders. That's going to irritate the board at Twitter. I don't think Elon Musk is going to be able to carry on that way. So I think what he's going to end up having to do is pull the reins back and say, OK, yes, we do have to have content moderation. Duh. It's yeah. the adult thing
2: to do. I'm just getting the popcorn ready, Bob. What's the best way for our <laughs> listeners to follow you and your work, sir?
3: Uh, you can follow my podcast everywhere. You get your podcasts, also on my Patreon page, which is Bob, bobseskashow.com.
2: So good to see you, Bob. Have a great, great Thank week. Thank you, John. want to give a quick uh, COVID update because they announced today that blood tests show a majority of Americans, roughly 190 million of us, okay, about 60%, including three out of four children, have already been infected with COVID-19. This is according to the CDC data that came out yesterday. The overall U.S. seroprevalence or prevalence of a disease in a population for COVID went from 33.5% to 57.7% from last December to this February, and that's because of Omicron. Everybody got it, and so many people don't even know they had it. The CDC still cautions, testing positive for antibodies should not be interpreted as protection from future infection. Vaccination remains the safest strategy. Guys, there is no such thing as natural immunity, okay? Kamala Harris has had the shots and had the boosters, and she's already had it once, And now she's got it again, and she's asymptomatic. Wear a damn mask. Um, Dr. Fauci said today that we are out of the pandemic phase after more than two years of this, causing tens of millions of cases, a million deaths in America alone. Um, Fauci was on PBS NewsHour. And uh, here's a clip of him saying that we're out of the full-blown pandemic. However, Sorry, Fauci's also said he will not be attending the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Biden will go, but Fauci, who says we're out of the pandemic, but he's not going to go to any big indoor event filled with lots of laughing drunk people. Reporters asked Jen Psaki, is that a little uh, a little off?
1: Dr. Fauci said that he's not going to the White House Correspondents Dinner, citing COVID concerns. Obviously, he's the president's chief medical advisor. Uh, as far as we know, the president is still planning to attend. Uh, How how should people understand Dr. Fauci's decision versus the president's decision, and is there any concern that the president would be seen as not following the science in some way? Well, first, I would note and respect everyone's privacy, including Dr. Fauci's as much as he's very much a public figure. But as you all know, he can speak for himself and his decisions. And um, every individual will make their own decisions about whether they attend this event, other events, whether they wear a mask at it or not. Obviously, the White House Correspondents Association is requiring same day testing. That's a that's a decision they have made. Um, Your president outlined, as you all know, a 100 page plan in March intended to uh, position us to go back to uh, our more normal routines, but in that, that requires making risk assessments and decisions about what you're going to do and what you're going to attend and be a part of, as, as we all do every day. Today, the President uh, felt it was very important to be at and speak at the uh, memorial service for a diplomatic icon, Secretary Madeleine Albright. Um, He made the decision to do that despite the fact that there were hundreds, if not thousands, of people there. He has made the decision he wants to attend in a safe way uh, the White House Correspondence Center to show his support, showcase his support for the free press, for the work of all of you, for the work of your colleagues around the world, to not only share accurate information about COVID, but also a report on the war in Ukraine um, and all of the work that happens every single day. That does stand in stark contrast to his predecessor, who not only questioned the legitimacy of the press on a nearly da- daily basis, but also never attended the dinner, I don't believe. Um, so he felt that was important <laughs> and made a risk assessment to do that in consultation with his doctors and healthcare team.
2: In fairness, Donald Trump only never attended the correspondence dinner because he's a thin-skinned, coward, little snowflake bitch. Cheryl uh, Stolberg had a really good piece on this in the New York Times today, saying that public health experts were largely, though not entirely, supportive of Joe Biden's choice to attend the White House correspondence dinner. The organizers of the dinner are taking precautions, including requiring all attendees to be vaccinated and to provide proof of a negative COVID test taken that day. Having said that, um, I had three Negative instant tests for COVID before I knew I was sick and went and got my other test and found out I was positive. But Dr. Fauci said right now we are out of the pandemic phase. Namely, we don't have 900,000 new infections a day and tens and tens and tens of thousands of hospitalizations and thousands of deaths. We are at a low level right now. The World Health Organization declared it was a pandemic. I'll never forget the next to last night we were in the studio, March 11th, 2020. And the World Health Organization says the pandemic has not ended. Pandemic is officially a global outbreak of serious new illness that requires sustained transmission throughout the world. Watch this space.